Hello there, this is uh, Gary Perry from CBS Sports, and this, of course, is the uh, Eye on College Basketball Podcast. It's, it's nice to be back. I got Matt Norlander here with me. I got uh, Sam Vecini with me, and we're going to talk about college hoops in just a moment, I promise. But first, uh, if you'll bear with me, I, ju- I just want to take a minute and, and tell everybody how much I uh, appreciate the kind messages my wife and I have uh, received over the past week. I imagine if you're you know, listening to this podcast that you probably listen to the last podcast or you probably follow me on Twitter or Facebook or somewhere, which means you likely know the deal. But um, if not, here's the deal. My wife, Kelly, and I were expecting our third son here in the next few months. Matt and Sam and I had actually uh, talked about it on this podcast before the pregnancy was going perfectly. We had been on a, a baby moon. Uh, there were no issues. But early last week, she you know, just didn't feel right. So she went to the doctor and uh, asked for an ultrasound and there, there was no heartbeat. They knew immediately. And I guess because that's the type of thing you, you know, immediately. And you know, meantime, I was in New York, I was actually doing a radio segment at that time. And so I knew she was going to the doctor, but I didn't think anything of it. You know, it was just like, whatever. So I finished that segment and I looked at my phone and I had like nine missed calls. And, and at that point I, I knew, you know, right. You're just, you're hoping you're mm-hmm. wrong. Um, but when I returned the call frantically, I, I knew what was coming, or at least I thought I knew what was coming. Her best friend who was with her at the time answered the phone, uh, because Kelly was crying too hard to answer the phone. She told me the news that our, um, our baby just a few months from his due date was, uh, not alive, but, uh, Kelly would still have to deliver him and that they were transporting her to the hospital immediately. It's just a, a nightmare, right? In the meantime, like I said, I'm in New York City as opposed to Memphis, Tennessee, where she is. So uh, with the help of the folks at CBS Sports, I got uh, put on a flight home uh, from LaGuardia to Memphis International, immediately landed, uh, went straight to the hospital, and um, we went to sleep that night knowing we'd wake up Wednesday morning and deliver our stillborn son, which is exactly what we did. I'll spare you the details, but like I wrote um, on a Facebook post, it's just as awful as you'd imagine. We brought him into this world. We named him Elliot Theodore Parrish. He had uh, two hands and two feet and 10 fingers and 10 toes, but he did not have a heartbeat. Um, The result of, of what appears to be an extremely rare umbilical cord issue. It's not something that happens often, uh, we were told basically that um, one out of every 200 pregnancies that goes past 20 weeks becomes stillborn babies, right? So it's pretty rare. And then of that one out of every 200, only about 2% of those are the result of an umbilical cord issue. So you you do the math. Like I said, it's a, it's a very, very rare thing. And it's uh, also unpredictable and, and also unpreventable, but, but it does happen. And it happened here and uh, the result was our little boy being delivered without a heartbeat last uh, Wednesday morning. So we um, we held him for a little while, and then we handed him over. And uh, you know, we left the hospital Thursday afternoon, and he stayed there. And then we went to the funeral home on Friday to finalize arrangements, and and he's still there uh, right now. And I cannot tell you how weird and wrong it feels to you know go to a hospital and deliver a baby and not leave that hospital with that baby. It's just the worst ride home you can imagine. Just the um, absolute worst. And need, needless to say, um, I never expected when we were doing this podcast this time last week that I'd end the week in a funeral home, right? Making arrangements for our baby. It's just a, 
a, a terrible, terrible deal. But the incredible and and overwhelming support we've received from friends and family and even strangers uh, has been so helpful and uh, and inspiring. I, I, I want to say a special thank you to the um, and I've been surprised by this, the, the men and women who have been kind enough uh, to open up, men and women who have literally been through this exact same situation and, and openly shared their stories uh, with me and offered advice, including uh, our, our colleague at CBS Sports, Kyle Porter, who went through this same deal recently and handled it with such uh, grace and, and, and bravery. When I, when I heard his story last month, you know, I sent him a note, basically just told him all the things people are now telling me. And uh, never expected I'd be in the same boat, but but I am now. And and he offered some great, just uh, really helpful advice last week. And man, he's just a, a really good dude. Just a uh, a really good dude. And folks in the industry have, have reached out, and coaches, and athletic directors, and and, and uh, players have reached out. Readers and listeners have reached out. It's it's been really um, really nice. And to all of you, I guess what I just wanted to say was thanks a million. I owe you. We. Uh, I think we both owe you, my entire, uh, Kelly and I, but my entire, uh, my entire family. The notes and messages we've received have, um, they've all been incredibly kind and they're all encouraging and uh, some try to offer an explanation and I, I can appreciate that. In fact, I, I do appreciate that, but I guess the other thing I wanted to say is that, you know, honestly, I've always have sort of subscribed to the idea that life is, is uh, pretty random you know, sometimes good things happen to good people, and that's awesome. And sometimes good things happen to bad people, and that's uh, curious. And sometimes bad things happen to good people, and I don't know if it's infuriating, but it, it can be. And sometimes bad things happen to bad people, and that's at least understandable, like in the uh, spirit of karma, I guess. And it, either way, like the whole thing just has always sort of felt mostly random to me. Like, and, and I don't know, perhaps this is a poor analogy, but like if you can think of it, for you gamblers out there, uh, like big, you know, big roulette wheels, like two big roulette wheels, right? Like one positive wheel and one negative wheel. And we all have uh, numbers on those wheels, right? And, and there's a marble for each wheel and, um, you know, it's spinning, but, but odds are that marble isn't going to land on your number. So like odds are you're not going to, you know, on the positive side, you're like, odds are you're not going to win the lottery, right? And, and from the negative side, like odds are you're not going to have a kid with cancer. Your life is probably mostly going to stay within the margins in, in my life. Uh, before last week had had uh, mostly stayed within the margins. Uh, but that marble has to land somewhere. And that marble always lands somewhere. And a few weeks back, um, it landed on Monty Williams. And that's just the saddest story ever. Last week, it landed on us. This week, it's going to be somebody else. And, and, and my thoughts will be with them. But I guess my point is that uh, you know, millions and millions of people deal with tragedies. And there, there's often no rhyme or, 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 or reason to it. We're not alone in that regard. We're just joining like an, an incredibly unfortunate club, but we're, we're going to get through it. And honest to God, you, some of whom are, uh, like I said, complete strangers. Um, you guys are, are currently helping us get through it. So again, I just wanted to say uh, thank you. I, I don't necessarily believe this happened for a reason. Um, people tell me that, you know, that this, you know, everything happens for a reason. And, and I, I respect that, but I don't know that I subscribe to that. But I do believe that some good can come out of it. And I, I think my family being exposed to so much generosity feels like maybe that's some good that's, that's coming out of this. I'll be honest, I had this moment 
um, over the past few days where I wondered uh, if I've ever been as kind to anybody as folks have been to us over the past week. It probably doesn't speak well of me, but it's eye-opening, right? So perhaps it'll be, uh, that'll be the good, right? I'll be a better husband and a better father and a better friend for having gone through this, or you know, perhaps I'm reaching. Uh, either way, uh, that's not the point. The point is that this this past week has been the worst week ever, but it's also shown me the amazing kindness of people in general. And it's reminded me also um, of the great people I work for and with, like my bosses at CBSSports.com, um, you know, everybody from Anthony Mormion, Jeff Gatula to Eric K., Marcus Nelson, they've been unbelievable, just so understanding and patient. My bosses at CBS Sports Network, you know, people like Dan Weinberg and Ross Malloy and Tyler Hell and Ben Stauber, they've been amazing and I'll never be able to thank them enough for excusing me from work and putting me on a plane back home literally within minutes of me getting this bad news last Tuesday. My bosses at 92.9 FM in Memphis, uh, Dan Barron and, and Brad Carson have been incredible in all of the ways that uh, you need bosses to be incredible during times like these. They all went out of their way to tell me, you know, that I could take as much time as I need, take as much time as my family needs. And I genuinely like think I could have told them I'm I'm taking a month off and they would have all been cool with that. I appreciate it. But the, the truth is I, I want to work because work, uh, work is normal and I want to feel as normal as possible as soon as possible. Um, so I'm not telling you I feel great or that everything's fine. I don't. And it's not. But what I am telling you is that I, I'm, I'm going to try to push toward that. And I think getting back to work is a big part of that. So bottom line, thank you. Uh, to everybody who's taken the time to type a note or, or you know, say a prayer. It means the world to me. It really uh, has meant the world to me and my family. And thank you also to you guys uh, sitting quietly, Matt and Sam, but also Chip Patterson for covering for me uh, for the past week. You're great friends and colleagues. I don't know that I uh, deserve you, but I'm glad I have you. And, and, and shout out to Devin Downey and let's get on with it. Did Isaac Humphreys deserve that technical foul Saturday night at Texas A&M or what? Seem questionable to seem questionable oh, to me, Norlander. You are not. Yeah. Real quick, hold on. He's <laughs> not segueing right now. Seem right a little to questionable nope. to me, Norlander. Okay, you have. We're gonna do it real quick. Sam and I get a moment here because uh, I know we've said plenty uh, and we could said so much more on Friday's podcast. But it is great to be talking with you again. Um, and uh, listen, you've definitely shown plenty of instances. I would say, and actually, you know what? I kind of like that we had this kind of conversation because. One of the real bummers uh, about dying, and I hope we are all just decades away from dying, is people only say the really good stuff when you can't hear it. And um, even though you've gone through a tragedy here, uh, GP, uh, through you and your wife and have heard from so many people, uh, you've done so many really good and kind things in your life. You just have a very uh, unselfish and uh, quiet way about doing it, and it's something that's certainly admirable. Uh, but yeah, you've been on our minds constantly. We're glad that we're having this podcast with you back on it for sure. Shout out to Chip Patterson, no doubt. I'm glad that you worked on a shout out to Devin Downey. Let's just do that <laughs> on every podcast for the rest of the season. Let's just make that a thing. I think that but, is, um, yeah. but no, listen, like you've definitely been our thoughts. It kind of speaks to your character. Uh, I've never seen, and you know, Facebook's only one kind of thing, but I've never seen, I've had friends, you know, have children and announce marriages and, and post, you know, amazing photos from across the world and, and heartbreaking news. I have never seen someone receive more engagement and response and reaction on anything they've ever posted on Facebook than what I saw in terms of your response. And that's just on your Facebook page. Right. So um, it speaks to obviously the gravity of the tragedy, but uh, to you as a person and you and Kelly as a couple, She's continually in our thoughts, and yeah, I'm going to give Sam the floor here real quick as well, but uh, 
you know, we're so happy to have you back. And it, this is not easy. Uh, and it's, you know, we're heading toward really uh, the most critical time of the season. But, uh, but I get what you're saying, just because, you know, in times like these, you want to have things to occupy the mind and college basketball within the scope of this tragedy is obviously a very trivial thing. But at the same time, it's, it's something that's, uh, you know, so rewarding for us and something we love and we love to follow and we love to debate about. And I can't wait to get into talking about Wisconsin basketball, <laughs> but um, those kind of things can be sure. good. So you don't have to kind of sit around and stew, uh, but we definitely would have given you as much time as you wanted, but we're glad to have you back. Go ahead, Sam. Yeah, seriously. I mean, hopefully work and basketball and everything can at least give you some sort of time away from everything you're dealing with. And I mean, you've clearly been in my thoughts, you've been in Matt's, you've been in Chips, you've been in everyone's, uh, clearly all across the internet. And that speaks to you, your character and your family. And uh, it, it just really is awful what happened to you. And uh, we just hope that you can find a way through it. And I think that you said it best that uh, hopefully you can look on the positive side of this and come out a better person for it. And I'm sure that you will. Uh, and I mean, you've been just so incredible to me since I've come uh, from a totally different thing and dealing with all the stupid stuff that I ask you daily. Uh, so I can't ask for a better colleague. I can't ask for a better friend. And uh, like I said, you've been in my thoughts all week and uh, hopefully everything can continue to move forward i can whip out the guitar and start playing a ballad if you really <laughs> no, want you, know, you really like, want to like turn this into something it, really it, campfire it, it, stuff. yeah i, I will tell you the interesting there's well there's been a million interesting things about this or, or strange things or sad things but like um you know people try so hard um to like first off i've just been blown away by the uh, sheer number of um of notes i've received like uh you know when i sat down i guess it was uh, I don't know. I guess last Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday night, maybe it was probably Wednesday night and just started typing into my computer. Cause I knew I had to say something like, you know, I'm not a private person and I don't keep my personal life private. I like, I, I, I won't tell you there aren't things about me that people don't know. I mean, I, I don't share every up and down and peak and valley of my personal life of which there have been plenty, but, um, you know, if you listen to my radio show, if you listen to this podcast, if you follow me on Twitter, or Facebook, like, you know, Kelly, you know, probably know Aiden and Oliver, like, you know, my family, we'd been on a baby moon. Like, this wasn't something that um, I could not talk about publicly or address publicly. I, I didn't think because at some point, like, people just wonder, yo, I, where's your kid? I thought you right. had another kid on the way, right? Mm -hmm. And so I knew I was something I was going to have to address. And I didn't, uh, I, I might have overshared a little bit. Um, but um I don't know. I was really um, humbled by how that that seemed to resonate with with people, and the uh, amount of response I got was just overwhelming. Like I haven't worked for a few days, but I bet you I've typed uh, five hundred thousand words because I, t I tried to get back to as many people <laughs> as I could. And let me be clear: if I haven't returned a message from you, uh, God, it's only because I'm confused. I, I like I, I might have missed something somewhere. I, if so, it's it's unintentional. But I can't tell you how many notes I got from people who, um, and I think I mentioned this earlier, uh, have been through literally the same thing, right? Like they've, they, you know, umbilical cord, you know, 35 weeks, whatever it was. Like they've been through something, if not the exact same thing, very similar. And, uh, you know, you just, it, it helps. Um, I, I think maybe like what I wrote and the way I wrote it helped them because they realized, wow, I felt all those same things too. The, you know, the simple things from, and Matt, you'll remember this because you were just in the hospital, you know, having your little boy. 
um, like it is so weird to be there and you're surrounded mm-hmm. by people who are who have just experienced like you see them in the hallways like you're like you might not know their name but you like you see them on like an every four to six hour basis because they just had the child around you 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 don't have the same experience oh god i get where you're coming from with this yeah no you see not only that you like go down to get a cup of coffee and you see their uh their their brother and sister bringing balloons in you know like uh you see out you see all of this and um it's just such a weird contrast, and um, because you, you, these these people, and keep in mind, let me be clear: like Kelly and I have had, we've had that experience twice. You know, like um, like we've been through the greatness of of childbirth and and of welcoming a, a, a little boy into the world, and you you um, but suddenly you're the only person there that's not full of joy. You're like you are like to, like if you're in room four hundred three, room four hundred four is a couple that have just that have just experienced the most amazing beautiful thing and in cup and in room 402 to your right same thing and you're stuck in the middle and not only do you hear them laughing and their family laughing and i don't blame them like i would be you know i've been there like i'm not uh, but like you hear it and you hear their baby crying in the middle of the night and you know your baby's not you know it's just like uh like it and even i don't want to say making it worse but like because it wasn't making it worse um but like one of our friends um <laughs> she was she was pregnant she and she, um, like she, she was someone who posts on, you know, our Instagram pages, and and you know we post on her Instagram pages, and you know she and Kelly would both. Um, I, I think I finally reached the point where I'm oversharing, but I'll, I'll finish the story at least. But they would like you know like oh look here's four months here's look at my baby bump you know it was like that kind right. of thing, and mm-hmm. but she was much further along than Kelly, and so. Um, uh, our our children were delivered within 30 minutes of each other same hospital the other day well yeah i know like you know so geez. so she's posting on instagram so we follow each other on instagram and she's posting on instagram like uh, you know little the baby's here and like i was like oh god like we we really just had our babies delivered within 30 minutes of each other obviously under incredibly different circumstances and then i do want to say this and not to name drop or whatever but i thought it was just the sweetest thing um last wednesday scott van pelt had had a boy and, I picked up on this after, yeah. And it. he sent me the absolute sweetest note, and and um, and then sent a follow up the next day just to check in. And like in this moment where I, I think every, I'm not telling you a secret about Scott. I, like, there's a reason why he's among the most likable TV like big stars. You know, not everybody who's a big star on television is 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 um, is well liked. You can you can pick out who's who. I, I don't need to be involved in that conversation, but just trust me when I tell you not every not every so called big time television star is uh, is well liked. But I think basically everybody like likes Scott. I, I think that I don't know. Any, let me put it this way: I don't know anybody who doesn't. And I just thought it spoke really well of him for, in this amazing moment for him and his family. Um, like he just had his little boy, and he named him after his father. And my God, what's more beautiful than that? Like he took a moment a couple moments out of his days to like send like really nice, thoughtful messages, uh, you know, and uh, that meant the world to me. But like, I guess what I, the, the point was, you can't escape all that. Like you really, like, like, like we, I had a very close personal friend and then Scott, of course, also like have like these amazing experiences literally on the same day, you yeah. know, that we were going through what we were going through. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's hard to, um, it's, it's a rough deal. 
I, I, I guess that's what I was trying to say. It's a, it's a really. Uh, this was good. Though. This was therapeutic. I'm glad we talked. About <laughs> I know. I appreciate. It. Just bill me. Tell me what I owe you. <laughs> no, no. It's it's good. It's a like it is a it has been a depressing well, that, college basketball season in a lot of ways. Yeah. So like there's just been way too much. And that's, death around the yeah, season. Well, I mean, there's, uh, there's Andrew, yeah, so, the Andrew um, Smith story. And listen, everybody's going through their, um, you know, everybody's got stuff going. Not everybody has stuff like this going on, but like lots of people are, you know, are going through things. And, and sometimes there are, they're as bad as this. And so uh, I recognize there's nothing really that, anything that unique about our story, but it, uh, it, uh, it, it's a mess. And I, I guess the other thing, and then I promise we'll move on. Like, as I get ready to go back to work, you know, it's not like I don't have a normal job. Like I just like, you know, I don't work in a cubicle and like, um, you know, do paperwork. Like I, I'm, I'm, my jobs are very public jobs. Like my voice will be on radio, you know, like, and, and you sort of struggle with, um, how do you laugh? You know, like, what, how do you, you know, how do you make jokes? Like, what do you like? Um, uh, I, I even thought about it, like from the poll attacks, like the poll attacks is like, centered and is rooted in me like being cocky and telling you how stupid you are well how can i tell other people like these people have been like and like after <laughs> after having like thousands of people be so incredibly kind to me and my family how do i just pop right back in and tell somebody there's gonna stupid? be some jerk who didn't reach out and <laughs> ranked organate yeah and you're gonna go after him. yeah if you're the hey if you're the asshole who didn't send me a nice note and you got an ap vote with something a little questionable on it you you're getting yours monday night now's the, but, now's the time <laughs> yeah but uh no so, like among the things that went through my head was like how do i write the poll attacks because that's like it sort of comes off as jerky right like it's a little bit of uh if any no here's my thing if anything you've got you've got more a longer leash than you've ever had <laughs> Right. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. No, it'll probably be the most passive poll attacks ever when I file that on Monday afternoon, Monday night. But uh, anyway, I was serious about this Isaac Humphreys thing. Sure. Did he deserve that technical foul? I was watching. I was like, uh, come on, man. You swallow your whistle there, right? My, I'll let Sam take it. My, my short take is I understand the letter of the law, but I even think here uh, it was the wrong call. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it was the right call. Pat Adams has uh, thrown himself into quite a few uh, sticky situations in the SEC this season. This was just the latest in a long line. Uh, if you remember that, I want to say it was Arkansas, Texas A&M game that had like so many foul calls. It was the uh, it might have been the Anthony Collins game even. Uh, is, that, is that right? Maybe that was Alabama. No, it was a game before that. But uh, it was it was not the right call, like not the right situation. Why are you? not letting these kids decide this game. It was absurd to me. Because he really call. did like decide the game. That call decided he did. the game. Yeah. A hundred percent decided the game. Yeah. Uh, they went down, knocked down both free throws, if I'm remembering correctly. I'm pretty right. sure they knocked down both. Uh, yes. And that was no, a no, 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 no. Well, no. Well, yes. Yes, they did. And then the Scow, weird situation. And then Scow, right. the, he, Scow made one miss one. Who had not been in most yeah. of the game. Scow went one for two, which then set up the, yes. But yeah. Yeah, no, and but seriously, it decided the game. That was the, you know, that was how it was decided. And there's no way that you can decide a basketball game when an 18-year-old kid, like, doesn't even spike the ball. Like, and he wasn't even doing it to show up an opponent. That's the key here. Like, He wasn't doing it to show up an opponent or to show up the official. He was yeah. just like, he was just happy. Like, why are we mad at a kid for being, like, this kid who... We didn't even know he's going to be in school this year. And suddenly he's in school this year and he's yep. on national television. And he just like, you know, uh, a defensive play sort of just decided the game. And he's just happy. Like the idea that you could take this unbelievable moment from this kid's college career to date and turn it into a nightmare. Just like, what is wrong? Like, why would you do that? 
Yeah, and it, it, he might be the youngest player in college basketball this year. Right. If he's not the youngest, he is really close. And I, I want to just point out that after the game, one, uh, Cal has been really good. Like, I was at the Kansas game when Kentucky lost. Cal was really good in the post game. Uh, and then he was really good after this one. And not only that, but Ulyss spoke in the presser, and he told the media that Humphreys basically was apologizing to every single person in the locker room, which he has no need to do. Right. But it speaks to Humphreys' character, especially, you know, the age, the situation, and all that, uh, that he, like, felt, like, real serious guilt over this, which is natural, uh, but unnecessary. The end of that game, by the way, listen, a nice win for AM. It's going to really help its profile, and this will end up dinging I, like i don't think uh, kentucky around the table i still think they'd get a four at best uk is going to be in a weird situation with its seating this one was kind of costly uh the game was just weird like it took forever the reviews like the final minutes of regulation and overtime like it took like three five minutes it was really one of the uh the longest just games to play out um so kind of a kind of a weird one and then the SEC just got a little more clogged. If Kentucky had won, it, it's probably still going to win the SEC, but that would have like decided essentially. And right. since they lost, it's a little more. Expensive. I'll tell you who's going to be a weird spot with Kentucky seeding is everybody else in their region. Okay, yeah, I know. I, know. I mean, can exactly. you imagine? Like they're they're going to be a four five seed. They still, they still I'll say, I'm going to guess five. Okay. I'm just if I'm guessing, I'll say a five. Okay, let's just I'm going to say three or four. Okay, okay, let's fine. Let's really? say let's say there are four. All right, let's just say let's split the difference. We'll say that they've got some bad losses on their resume. I think they're I think they're one of the best, probably ten teams in America, but they yeah. don't have a top ten resume, anything close to it. Like tr just trust me in the sense it. that I look at I look at these things every day. They don't. They I think they're one. And this is where, to the extent Kentucky fans like and I disagree on it, which which like we do. Um, they say, hey, you really don't think Kentucky – and I get it. You can rank teams based on just who you think's better. Just disregard the records and say, I mm -hmm. think this team's great. I'm ranking them fourth. But I tend to like sort of um, – you know, I respect the resume. What, that's sort of my saying. I respect the resume. Whatever the resume says you are, that's what you are. Uh, they And they, their resume is not that good. But I do think they're really good. And so they're going to be – let's just say a four seed. And you imagine your um, – I don't know, Villanova. And you've had this amazing season and you get a one seed. And now you look up in the – uh, in, in the Sweet 16, and you go, uh-oh, uh -oh, we're out, man. Yeah. And that's what's going to happen. They're going to do that to somebody, and um, there's a chance, I mean, like, Duke could maybe do that to somebody. We I mean, the funnier one is going to be if Villanova ends up with, like, Cal is their eight seed, right. and then Kentucky is their four. Right, right, right. Because that's going to happen to someone this year. Someone's yeah. going to get hit with, like, a double whammy like that. Right. Where you have some ridiculous eight seed like Cal, and you have some ridiculous four or five seed like Kentucky. You know what? But, like, I remember a few years ago, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but it was um, it was the year Andre Drummond was at Connecticut, so whatever year that was. But I remember we, we kept talking about, that, that Connecticut, I did at least, talking about that Connecticut team, like, man, you don't want any part of them um, because, yeah, they've struggled and they've been up and down and inconsistent all year long, but you look at that roster and they can get you. And then they were at eight seed and we were like, ooh-wee, I think it, made, it might have been Kentucky's national championship team. I think it might have been the Anthony Davis team. Did Davis and Drummond come out the same year? I think so. I, I think, think so. that's that, right. that Connecticut yeah. team played Royce White's. Yes. Um, no, they absolutely, uh, that is right because it was. It was like, and everybody picked um, – Connecticut to beat Iowa State. It was the Royce White team. And it was like, ooh, then you get Connecticut to Kentucky, and Connecticut's got pros and blah, blah, blah. And then it was like, you know what? They just went out and did what they did all year, played like nothing and lost in the round of 64. Yep. And so, like, 
I'm not predicting that for Cal or Kentucky or any of these super talented teams, but sometimes teams just are what they are. On the other hand, 2014, that Kentucky team turned it on. You know, they did, they did what I think some people think this Kentucky team can do, which is just flip a switch and go. Um, but, but they're, they're obviously good enough to do it. I would, uh, I, I would, I don't want to be in their region. If I'm a one C two C three, like I don't want any part of that, but obviously somebody's going to, uh, get a part of that. Meantime, you mentioned Kansas cause you were at that game a few weeks ago, Norlander, the Kansas Kentucky game. Um, look up, guess who's got a two game lead in the big 12 standings with only four games left. And how about this? So two of the games, um, two of the four remaining games for Kansas, they're at Allen Fieldhouse. So unless Kansas loses at Allen Fieldhouse, which as as Norlander detailed recently, just does not happen. Uh, it's going to be 12 straight big 12 titles. Like it's just unbelievable. Like we spent all season going, well, what about this? And what about this? And what, you know, if this happens, that, ha-? and then like, it's February 21st, and they've got a two-game lead in the Big 12 standings. Mm-hmm. Like that, they're not only going to mm-hmm. win it; they might win it by multiple games. They're going to win it by multiple games, and the I think ESPN flashed a graphic. I was like doing a bunch of stuff when it happened, but this will now be the second longest ever because Gonzaga once won 11 straight years uh, doing what Kansas has done, and then it ended. I think UCLA did 14 straight Pac-8 titles, mm-hmm. um, so that's the, the only one that still has to be conquered by bill self and i mean honestly it's, it might happen the kansas is now what's happened here is kansas and villanova there were five top 10 teams that went down this week oklahoma lost iowa lost unc lost maryland lost at minnesota we covered that in detail on friday's podcast and and maryland kind of got out uh, against michigan state uh, against michigan on sunday that was not inspiring whatsoever uh and west virginia also lost but with kansas and nova in my opinion they have now really started to establish how they're going to be clear-cut ones this was my suspicion a couple weeks ago because we had discussed how if it was going to be a total mix-up and heading in ones twos threes and fours how much difference there would be i felt there might be one or two teams that would create some separation now don't get me wrong Kansas can still lose. Maybe it gets it gets really freaking weird and drops in the quarterfinals of the Big 12 tournament. I think even if that happened, it's going to be a one seed. In my opinion, what Villanova and Kansas have done has created a situation where they're almost, like, unless they absolutely cave in, they're going to be the ones. And what I think we could have happen is if it broke just perfectly, and I don't know if this has ever happened, uh, two conferences be responsible for all of the ones. I bet it has. I just don't remember. And maybe it happened, like, within Well, the there was five. one year where the one seeds and I only remember this because where I grew up, but I want to say the ones were, Oh no, 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 no. That was the four, the final four. It was three. The big final four was Oh wait. Yeah. Oh, it's the, the famous year. Where yeah, all no, no, the no. One I know. But I mean, uh, in 85, the final four was three big East teams. Oh, and, three big East teams. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. And that but was I, like, yeah, the yeah but I don't know if it was ones. I don't know if it was, I don't remember the last, we've certainly had two ones come from the same league. I don't know about three ones come from the same. league. I, I feel like three ones from the same league has happened once before. I, you know, again, the beauty of the podcast, these kind of things just, I mean, pop up. I didn't. three ones doesn't really have a shot to happen this year either. No, 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 uh, it doesn't. But what I'm getting at is, so Xavier plays and I'm kind of rambling from GP's Kansas thing, but Kansas is in my opinion, like he's the clear cut. Sh- it has the best resume. It's on pace to be the number one overall seed, but we have a good, uh, game with Nova at Xavier on Wednesday. And in my opinion, um, if Xavier wins that game and then those both teams don't lose again until they meet in the title game of the Big East, I think actually both Xavier and Villanova will have very, very strong cases to be number ones. 
just like in Oklahoma, even though Kansas wins the Big Ten regular Big 12 regular season, if Oklahoma basically doesn't lose again and wins the Big 12 tournament title, it's going to have a really super strong case for a number one seed. Obviously, a lot of things have to break that way, but we could be pushing toward that where those four teams could be the ones. Plenty of plenty side of Michigan State's no. still there as well, but it, it's now yeah. developing into something interesting there. Here's what I would tell you, um, and I, I don't I don't disagree. I, I think it's possible, uh, but. Uh, you know who Xavier's best win is? Yeah, I'm not seeing it for them. They haven't beat anybody. Our, I know. Their, their best win is what? USC, maybe? Dayton? USC? Dayton neutral, USC, and then... I mean, they won at Providence. At they, Providence would register, and at Butler would register as tougher wins because those are road wins. They, over at yeah. Michigan. At, at, at Michigan. At Michigan. But, but like, again, like but, a Nova win would jump it up, and they yeah, and their RPI yeah. then... Would no, the RPI, the RPI is fine. I, I guess my point is they don't have very many. They've got, I'm looking at it now, one, two, three, four, five, six top 50 wins. That's not bad. But like in terms of like the marquee signature victories, they're kind of missing that at this point. Like, yeah, they oh, have I, zero top 25, Ken Palmer. Well, how about this? How about this? Dayton could fall out of the top 25 on Monday when the polls are released. Yes. Um, Southern Cal's not in or or they're, they're not they're gonna gonna okay they went yeah they, they've kind of bottomed out by the by monday afternoon xavier's resume could feature zero wins over top 25 teams in the ap poll in fact i think it will is that one yeah. seed? i still think i mean let me bring it up real quick i still like because listen I, and i'm i'm basing some of this off of palm adam has a one like two weeks ago maybe yeah. before the creighton loss um so I, I listen and again i would if we were using other metrics aside from uh, just pure RPI. Sure. I'm with you, but I have a sense that if it were to beat Nova and not, and then especially went not basically not lose again, if it didn't, if it never lost until we got selection Sunday, I think it would unequivocally end up being a one seed just because there's been so much. Right. And they, and they, and they might, I mean, if they never lost again until selection Sunday, they'd be sitting at uh 25, 26, 27. Probably they'd finish 30 and three with two wins over Villanova. All right. So they're six in the RPI right now. Uh, and their strength of schedule overall is second, or their league strength of schedule overall. There are yeah, their strength of schedule is 11, 12, and 0 against the top, against non-conference. I get what you're saying, uh, and I'm not even saying they should be one. In fact, I would argue maybe it's better that they don't get a one, uh, just in terms of because like, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if like yeah. those teams that like that's that was not on them to be a one seed this year and sometimes that can come really hot and heavy for these teams and i wonder if sometimes the pressure of that can get to them so it might they might be better served as a two especially if what we're talking about you'd rather get maybe a softer seven seed than an eight like a cal or or whoever might fall into that range i get you um but overall kansas and nova is my primary point that i took to get to like those teams have Really, they aren't taking bad losses, really, yeah. and uh, they should be one seeds barring absolute cave-ins. I would think so. Go there, back, to, go back. There's one thing that there's one thing I kind of wanted to talk about with you guys to see if you buy this. We're kind of talking about like all this. Their RPI would be really high. How do we know for sure that the RPI is that valuable no, here's in the what, committee here's, anymore? Here, here's what's yes. that. Here's what's that value. I don't know that we do. By the way, I, hold on. Can I look go, real yeah, quick and then you guys can talk. Here's how yeah. I know it's here's how I know it's valuable. It's it's undeniably valuable. I hate it, but here's the, here's it, the no, fact. no no no. It's not that it's not valuable. I think it's valuable. I think that its value is diminishing though. Uh, it might be diminishing, but it still by far permeates the, the room because they use the team sheets, right, and all right. of the data on the team sheets, strength of schedule, top 25 wins, top 50 wins. All of that stuff 
is based on the RPI. It's not based on any other metric. It's not based on RPI combined with Sagarin, combined with Massey, combined with Kenpom. It's all sure. RPI based. So when they look at these team sheets and they right. say, okay, let's bring up team A versus team B or A versus B versus C, it's all based on metrics within the RPI. Right. So within that, Yes, it does have significance and still too much influence. Here's what here's yeah, what here's it, it what, definitely here's, has significance. Don't get me wrong. Go here, ahead. Here's what I've always said: your RPI doesn't matter. I mean, it, it all matters. So, like, let me rephrase: your RPI doesn't matter nearly. Here, if I, here's here's what I would say about Xavier: Xavier's RPI doesn't matter nearly as much as Providence RPI matters to Xavier. In other words, they've got two wins over Providence right now. If if Providence is in the top twenty-five of the RPI on that team sheet, it shows up as the top 20, as two top twenty-five wins. If it's top 50, it shows up as two top 50 wins. If Providence yeah. slips out of the top 50, then it shows up as two sub 50 wins. Like, um, I've always believed that um, your RPI, whether it's six or 11 or three or whatever, is less important than what it looks like on that team sheet, based, yeah. like what your wins and losses look like. And, and, and so the RPI is incredibly important. How about this? When I rank teams every morning, I don't, like I can look right now and tell you what Xavier's RPI is. I, I just looked a second ago. I didn't know, but I didn't know before that. But I knew how many like top twenty-five wins it had and top fifty wins. I pay more attention to what your body of work says related to the RPI as opposed to what your actual RPI is. In other words, the RPI thinks that it's a grouping tool more than it's a ranking sure. tool. If that makes sense. No, I think that that's fair, but I think that a lot of people still think of the RPI as a lot of the be-all, end-all, so to speak, of the way that teams are selected for the NCAA tournament. And I think that that's changing. I mean, last year, Scott Barnes, who was the committee chair, even came out and said, like, hey, we spent more time in the room looking at, you know, Ken Palm or Sagarin or, I mean, what's the I ESPN one? Like, stuff have, like that. Like, I, I mean, I, and, yeah. go, go ahead. Let's, I, I, I have pushed for this. Uh, when I did the mock selection, uh, basically, uh, it was uh, Gasaway, Nate Silver, and I basically like spent an hour filibustering, and everyone else I think hated us because we were like, "You need to stop using the RPI. Like, you need to start realizing that there are so many better metrics that you can use, and if you want to still include it, have it be one of many." I think yeah. that the NCAA selection committee and David Warlock, who was in the room and helps, and, and Shaheen, who did it for so long, they understood. They understand. Uh, that other metrics need to be taken into account. And I bet, and I have zero doubt that they, Kempom page is brought up and someone has a subscription, you know, without a doubt. But the fact of the matter is they are still using the team sheets when it yeah. comes down to the debates. And when you're using the team sheets that is based in an RPI DNA, those are having the most predominant influence over these teams. Sure. I, I, I think I, that I, predominant is fair. I think that it's decreasing in predominance though. That's fair. I, I don't think that's I, I would inaccurate. Say it's fragile, and I would agree. And I hope that within five years to ten years, it's we're no longer using team sheets based on RPI because the only thing, in my opinion, that the RPI is good for, and I don't like it, but the one thing that it does is if you schedule crappily, okay, if you line up with cupcakes, your number will be killed for it. Now, again, this goes to what GP said. GP said it was. It's not really more about your number, but what your team sheet and your overall picture suggests. And so if you try and get by like, say, a Pittsburgh does, the RPI will out you and it will not give you a good chance, which should have, you know, big boy schools, they should be pressured into scheduling uh, with challenging out, outside of conference because otherwise it's this weird balance between how good you are versus how, how good your schedule is because otherwise everyone would schedule crap teams and say, hey, no, we're awesome. Judge well, us on how good we are. No, you got to – you have to test yourself because that's yeah. got to be a little of both. 
I think that the team that's being hurt by that is, and we can kind of transition to this team now, is LSU. I mean, LSU, I think, is 88 or 89 in the RPI now after losing this weekend. And they obviously kind of stink at this point. There's not really another way to put it. But so many teams are going to clamor or so many people are going to clamor for them to be in when the resume and their strength of schedule and everything is clearly going to say that they should not be in the tournament. Here's the thing. Like I, I cause I see this all the time, like on social media and I, I guess on television, some like it's, it's it, like, it feels like a storyline is whether Ben Simmons is going to be in the insulation. Do we like really care if Ben Simmons is in the tournament I, that much? Like, I don't I mean, spoiler, like I, I'm writing about this for Wednesday. Okay. I'm, I'm about hit, I've, I've about hit a, a breaking point with this. Yeah. Thing. I'm like, I'm like, listen, I like if Ben Simmons is playing on TV in the NCAA tournament, I'll watch it. But like, if he's not, what do I like? It won't, it, it won't move the needle even a second because let's be honest. Even if Ben Simmons is in the tournament, he's in the tournament for 40 minutes. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And uh, without a doubt. And, Sam, I wonder how many people are clamoring for it, like for in terms of LSU. I get what you're saying. No, I, I don't think that there are people that actually watch college basketball throughout the season that clamor for it. I think that it's the people who watch the NCAA tournament that will clamor for it. And like, yeah, absolutely. It, listen, LSU is just a disaster. I mean, it was it had a brutal week last week. They can still get to the tournament, but now they've got this random slippery game at Arkansas, and Simmons looked bad. I mean. <laughs> we we, we kind of name drop Gavoni, Jonathan Gavoni, who runs Draft Express and does a great job, like on an every other week basis. But he basically killed Simmons. Yeah, he never that. looked worse than what he saw. He was disinterested. There's an academic matter. There was yeah. this one play where he airballed like this twisting runner, and then uh, Armani Moore was kind of already falling to the ground. But Simmons definitely like nudged him, like it was a frustrating like push kind of thing. Like it was a weird super weird game and so you just wonder like you know this is truly cliche alert but it's like gut check time like they have to win uh at least three more games uh, probably four to feel safe that includes the NCAA or the SEC tournament in order to get the NCAA tournament but Sam's greater point with the RPI is is right I mean no team worse than a 74 and that was New Mexico State in 99 before teams started to kind of game the RPI has ever gotten in really if you're an at-large team or a candidate from a major conference and you're not basically 60 or better generally think i think that you don't stand a chance even though i know that's not fight that's not a rule i'm just saying the your schedule will line up in such a way and your results would be like if you're worse than 60 in the modern era i just don't think you have a really any chance of getting out and lsu's got three top 50 wins rpi and one two three four five losses outside of the top 80 losses to houston nc state charleston marquette and Wake Forest, they're just—I uh, mean, they're just not very good. Like we keep going, you know. When LSU, what? This is just what they are, you know. So they are—they are actually. When earlier we were talking about, you know, that UConn Andre Drummond team, and like you kept waiting for it to click, and it never did. This, that's what this is. This is a team okay. that you look at the individual talent, mm-hmm. you go, man, if they ever get it going, but they ain't gonna get it going. Like, well, I mean, yeah, the, the problem is that the pieces don't really fit together. Right. Like they're they're two best players, and I've said this from the start of the season. They don't fit together at all because Ben Simmons and Tim Quarterman both need the ball and neither of them can shoot. Uh, And you throw that with a coach who uh, I don't think that it's a secret that Johnny Jones isn't uh, a guy who gets the most out of his teams. Uh, That's kind of a problem, I think. And it's not really a surprise. Well, the other thing is like, and to circle back around the Simmons, like it's an academic issue, right? Like, uh, that's the most ironic thing ever. Too. Well, here's the thing. Like, at <laughs> what point did, like, do we need to have a, and not 
not us three, but just people in general, like have a larger conversation about why wouldn't it be an academic issue? Like why would why would Ben Simmons give in care a bit about college? And why do I care if he has an academic issue? Why like why does the NCAA care if he has an academic Well, it's issue. just like Derrick Rose had an <laughs> Derrick Rose had an academic issue. You know why? Because we set up a system that and I know it doesn't force anybody in anything. I don't want to have that argument, but like come on. It basically forces these kids into college, kids that have no business being in college. Ben Simmons shouldn't be in college any more than I should be in the NBA. You know, and and <laughs> and, and like Ben Simmons he doesn't belong in college. And and Derrick Rose never belonged in college. He wants to go to college, he can go get his degree at 35 after his <laughs> yes. knees and back are gone from playing an 82 game schedule in the NBA. So like, like just, just think about this impractical. First off, think about how many kids go to college who actually like need college and like blow it off, like flunk out of school, like half my friends. Right. So, um, so there's that, but then think about if there was something, somebody said, okay, we're going to need you to go do this for the next uh, eight months, but you are never going to use it. It ain't like, it, it is never going to have any impact on your life. You're not taking uh, English one so that you can take English three as a sophomore. You know, like it, it really, you're never going to graduate college unless you just decide you want to for some weird reason. Like, and by the way, you're going to make $150 million. Like it, like this literature class is going to have a zero. You don't need it to get to something else and you'll never use it again. Now, hey, here's your books. Of course you have an academic issue. Like I barely went to college. Like I, I mean, like went to class and studied and stuff. And I needed to, like, I didn't have, I, like, I wasn't six, nine, I wasn't five, nine. <laughs> so like, um, so like, I can't, like, I, I'm always amazed when those kids do like go to school. Not that, and, and by the way, I, I'm not operating under the assumption that they do. I mean, I, they're mostly online classes and stuff like that. Like that, that's, that's the next, like, um, uh, Bryant Gumble inside sports like you know how many of these kids are actually like stepping into a classroom like 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 we all stepped in the classrooms like it ain't it ain't what you think it is it's mostly online classes and so but like like why would Ben Simmons do any work like I, that's what I'm amazed by I'm not amazed that Ben Simmons has an academic issue I'm amazed that Jamal Murray doesn't yeah especially you know? when you consider like Simmons is going to drop out of his you know spring semester anyway in well, like, well that, that's where the APR gets, and I, that's why I hate the APR, because it runs counter to, like, common sense. Like, the idea that Carl Anthony Towns had to actually, like, finish some online courses. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, it is so ridiculous. The idea that John Calipari's program could be penalized if Carl Anthony Towns doesn't go to school through the end of May or beginning of May or whatever is just asinine. And yet... They have this system up, set up to where he needs to. And like that's one of the things Cal talks to those guys about. He's like, listen, you can use me and use us to get wherever you're trying to get, but I just need you to fit. And so what they do is they move to L.A., train, and then like file some papers, like email some stuff in. You know, it's not like they're going to real school. But still, the idea that they even have to do that is ridiculous. Like Carl mm -hmm. Anthony Towns is training to be the number one pick in the draft. And he's got to like sit down for two hours and do an English paper. Like, what are we talking about? So it's just, uh, I, I sort of chuckled when um, I saw Ben Simmons have an academic issue. Oh, yeah. And, and by the way, like if we're talking about him having an academic issue that has him sit for the first five minutes of the game. <laughs> yeah, what does that even mean? It's probably him just like he does have to go to a class. Like he has to walk into a class and like someone, you know, takes his attendance and the coach catches up on the attendance from the teacher. He probably just like missed a class or something. Like that, that would be what my guess is. That's yeah. total speculation. Like, I don't know what happened, but that's probably what the issue was. Like something like that. 
it's just yeah. so ridiculous. No, the whole thing. Like the, you have to make him sit in class and, you know, like just the just fact listen, he has to no, pretend just, to no, pay attention. Just stop there. It is ridiculous that Ben Simmons is in a college class. Like that, 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 that's the long and short of it. Like the idea that Ben Simmons is sitting in a class alongside like some like normal human being is, is yeah. just kind of ridiculous. And that's why. Like, and the, here, let me also say this yeah. too. And it was even more ridiculous for Johnny Jones to bench him for such an issue. Oh yeah. Right. Like, like if that's what it was. Right. Well, it's funny. You, like you just took your guy out of the game. Like, I, it, I don't know if that's what affected him necessarily, but like, well, I had he clearly didn't come in and play as hard as he should have. Well, it's fine. Like I had talked to Mark Gasol about this before. And like, like Mark, Mark went, what's up, Penny? Uh, <laughs> uh, Mark uh, went to school in, in the United States, of course, but like he, if you talk to any of those guys who are from Europe or have European roots, um, like, and you, like, they think it's so insane that the elite college basketball players, like, go to college. Like, what, like, why would you, why would you take, I, I keep, like, why would you take Carl Anthony Downs and put him in college? Well, the, literally, the art, art, this, I mean, this doesn't exist anywhere else in the world, but we do. No, that, that's the other thing. Like, if you go nope. literally anywhere else in the world and try to look at how they handle their um, elite soccer prospects, elite cricket, pro- whatever it is, I don't even, it doesn't even matter, anything. Let's, let's break down some elite cricket prospects. Yeah, I don't know who they are, <laughs> but I, I do know, like, in for soccer, like, the idea that, that, that uh, Ronaldo would end up doing a semester at some university is just ridiculous, right? Can you imagine like if Messi had to go to school for a year? <laughs> like, do you really, like, oh like, what are we even talking about? So, trying like, to picture like Messi like suiting up for UCLA right now. It's yeah, like, it, like, yeah, it's just so like backward. It's like, first off, it's like it's just it flies in the face of like everything an institution of higher learning is supposed to be. But beyond that, it's just a, it's not a massive waste of time. This is where we sort of get twisted because like Kevin Durant probably made $60 million from going to college and like becoming a star in college. Like he immediately gets this Nike deal. So it's not a waste of time for these guys, like for these, I don't, but like, it's not the, if you could blow it, I guess this is the way I would say it. If you could blow it all up and start a new system, we would never tie what are essentially they minor be the system. no this no. is no 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 if we just said hey we're gonna everything's blown up we're gonna start from scratch what's the best way to do this we'd never say we need to have our universities have basketball teams <laughs> and then let's send our best prospects to play for these universities make them amateurs and like you know uh, turn in papers for a year before they you know sign 50 million dollar contracts like it's just yeah. the whole thing's ridiculous yeah. let's move we- on uh-huh. Lionel Messi, I just want to point out, yeah. played his first game for Barcelona, like the best team in the world when he was 17 years old. Right. I mean, it, I mean, it's, it's just insane. the whole thing's crazy, right? So, um, yeah. What else uh, do you want to hit on? Well, this, Norlander, I saw you tweet over the weekend, I guess it was, that you don't think um, most people realize how comfortably Texas Tech is in the NCAA tournament right now. I've actually had them ranked for a little while now because, like, when you look at their resume, it's like, Wow. Like they got one, two, three, four, five, six top 50 wins, six top 50 wins, including wins over Oklahoma and Iowa state and only two losses outside of the top 30. Like, and some of that, these numbers are a little rigged in favor of the big 12 teams. Cause it's hard to take bad losses in the big 12. Cause every loss is a good loss, but still sure. six top 50 wins and no losses outside the top 30. Like Tubby. And I'm shocked by this. Honestly, I did not think he would be, that job is a hard job, hard job. Yes. 
and he's got them going. Like, dude, Bob Knight might be the best pure basketball coach ever. I don't want to debate this, but like, just play along. And like, he got it going a little bit, but it's it, like at some point he's just getting his brains beat in by big, you know, Kansas, Texas, and Oklahoma State and whatever. Um, this is a hard job, and Tubby's got this is a good team. He's got a good team. Listen, it's he's done a great job. Uh, Texas Tech is going to make the tournament, barring a collapse, for the first time since Knight was there. That was 07. They've since run through Bob Knight's son, Pat. Billy Gillespie had a cup of coffee. Chris Walker took over. And then Tubby's been there. This is now year number three, and uh, he won 27 games total the past two seasons. They're almost certainly going to cross the 20-win plateau this season. Um, they've got... Texas Tech is going to be interesting because they've got a home game against TCU on Tuesday. They should win, and they close out the season home game against Kansas State. Win those because you got two toughies at Kansas, at West Virginia. I still think if they go 2-2 two and two there and win a Big 12 tournament game, they're going to be in. Um, they had this weird dip, and I understand why they're totally off the radar because they started their Big 12 season with a win over Texas, and then they went on to lose, what, eight of their next nine games. But since then, uh, Iowa State, Baylor, Oklahoma, they got a really critical, sneaky win on Saturday, which is why I sent that tweet out uh, over Oklahoma State. That's just, you know, it's a road game. There's just no guarantee you're going to win it. But Kansas lost it. there? Absolutely Kansas lost there. So Tech is just a team that like I think Palm's got him as like an eight seed right now because just the quality of their wins um, and you know even like the non-league wasn't amazing but they, they got they didn't get tripped up against any bad teams the only team they lost to was Utah which is you know on pace for a really really solid yeah. seed at this point so that's one team that's that's solidly in the field I did want to quickly give well, hold, on, hold on one second Utah's okay. another team that I don't think people realize has got a resume okay. as good as Utah do. is ridiculous seven top 50 RPI wins only one loss outside of the top 50 only one home loss like I I, I think that like I think they're unranked right now they are yeah, unranked right now they're going to be ranked this week well uh, I have Utah, I've, I've had them ranked for a few days like if you look at the yeah. resume and, and people ask me all the time why do you use the RPI because the NCAA tournament uses the RPI that's why but um they like they, the way the NCAA selection tournament selection committee is going to view them is way more favorably than I think the casual college basketball fan is viewing them right now. Yeah, not casually, uh, not positively, I guess is the word I was looking for. In, in this year of like sure crazy Pac-12 upsets where everyone thinks that like, oh yeah, if you're on the road in the Pac-12, you're just going to lose. Right. Like we saw Oregon do that last week, sure. for instance. Um, <laughs> Utah's five and four on the road has three home games to finish out their season. And they're only a game behind uh, who, who is leading Pac-12, Oregon Ari and Arizona. Arizona, yeah. So there's like a very good chance they're going to win the Pac-12. Yeah, yeah. They would have a good shot at I think a three. I think a three seed is Utah's ceiling, um, and they're the only Pac-12 team that has two road weekend sweeps. They went to Washington, swept those schools. Now they're coming off a sweep of the LA schools uh, overall. USC did. USC is still in good standing in regard to the tournament, but it just it keeps tripping itself up. It's lost yeah. three of its past four. Uh, got a win that it needed to have, and they won uh, somewhat convincingly over Colorado earlier in the week. But um, I don't know if I can quite trust USC. I did real quick here, GP, because I mentioned before we started recording. I just want to give uh, notice on Wisconsin and Seton Hall sure. just because they were in – like I don't think – I don't know if Palm's got Seton Hall in or not. I, I don't think I'd put them in at this point. Uh, but they played like this really tricky game at St. John's where if you lose it, it's just such a hard thing to overcome. They beat St. John's and they almost had a freaking fight afterward on the floor. This is becoming a thing. Like, <laughs> like three near fights or actual fights after handshake lines in games this season. Um, 
Seton Hall is just one to keep an eye on within the Big East because it's the league is flirting with five, six uh, bids overall, maybe seven if things broke like super right, but I think that's even too much to ask. Seton Hall has beaten Wichita State, which can't lose again until the Valley title game, in my opinion. Um, now it has two opportunities at home against Providence and Xavier. So huge opportunities coming for Seton Hall. They're probably way off everyone's radar, but they're right there. Wisconsin's the other team. Flirted with an awful home loss against Illinois on Sunday. They came back. They had a 17-0 run. They got it. Wisconsin is super weird. Okay, they're 17-10. They had the Bo Ryan retirement. Sure. Doesn't matter because Bo Ryan. It doesn't matter that Bo Ryan was the coach when they opened the season with the loss to Western Illinois. They lost to Georgetown. Georgetown is killing people's stock by the week. Georgetown used to be good. Now they're just hideous. They might not even make the NIT. They're the second most disappointing team in the sport to Vanderbilt, in my opinion, in this the season. Wisconsin also has a loss to Milwaukee. It has a home loss to Marquette, which isn't going to look that good. And it has a road loss against Northwestern, which isn't the worst, but Northwestern's not having a great year. That said, it's only lost once in the past month, okay? And that was at Michigan State. So it's building a case. I don't think Wisconsin should be in the tournament yet. It does have tremendous opportunities upcoming at Iowa, then home to Michigan, got to win at Minnesota, even though Maryland couldn't do it, and at Purdue. If it goes, it has those two and then it's first Big Ten tournament game. If it goes 3-2 and two in any combination of those games, I believe that it will get in the tournament. What are your thoughts? If you were Wisconsin, wouldn't you be trying to make the case? I don't even know if you can make this case. It's such a rare and perhaps unprecedented situation. But wouldn't you be saying, hey, you know how you judge a team based on if they get a mid-year transfer eligible and it changes the team? Yeah. We got a different coach. It Don't make our... that case problem. Oh, sure. They're... But, like, the, the problem is, becomes, like, you take a step back and you go, hold on. You're trying to say Bo Ryan was the issue with your team? Exactly. <laughs> but, but... Which, which doesn't work. Well, which the, the other problem is, too, that you're taking away VCU and Syracuse wins yeah, you're right. as well if you do yeah, that. So, right. I mean, yeah, that probably helps because it takes away Western Illinois, Milwaukee, Marquette losses. But, like, at a point, you still need a certain amount of wins. I'd probably put Wisconsin in at this point, just because I think they're playing that well. I to think where they're. They I think are. they're one of. I think they're one of the best, better teams in the country now. Yeah, I think that they're one of the seventy best teams in the country. And remember, it's a soft bubble because of the two sure. schools that are not eligible for the NCAA tournament, Louisville and SMU. I think that they're. I think they should be in. The team I want to talk about is the good old alma mater, the Ohio Buckeyes. State, sitting at ten and five in Another the Big Ten. I mean, it's not really that fascinating. They're really not even on the bubble right now because, uh, yeah, their their wins in the Big Ten this year are over. Minnesota, Illinois, Northwestern, Rutgers, Penn State, Illinois, Northwestern, Rutgers, Michigan, and Nebraska. They just need two more games against Rutgers. They're going to be fine. Yeah, but here's the thing. They have Michigan State, Iowa, Michigan State to finish their schedule. Right. Two of those games at home, if they can win two of those three, I think it might be hard to keep them out at 12-6. and six with wins over Kentucky, Michigan State, and Iowa. And that's true. Rothstein did tweet that, and listen, it's different this year, but he tweeted that no, and the committee, by the way, does not consider this, doesn't give a damn about it. He said no Big Ten team has ever won 11 games in conference and not gotten a bid. There are sometimes these weird patterns. Right. It, it, that's not why no Big Ten team's ever not gotten a bid. It's because those 11 wins combined with a non-conference right. led up to getting a bid. <laughs> Ohio State's just built, and this is what uneven conference schedules will give you. I, Ohio State's got to win at least two of those three and a Big Ten tournament game to start yep. to have a case. And, but I, you know what? I'll give them credit because Parrish was there when Ohio State beat Kentucky, and that was we covered it thoroughly on the podcast. Shocking! One of the most random games I think I've ever witnessed in person. Okay, how you Just lose? How you, how you lose to Memphis and beat Kentucky in the same like 
decade, but especially in the same, <laughs> same decade. <laughs> but it like it, they dropped they that, dropped three straight games. That that was UT inside. Arlington, yeah. Louisiana Tech, Memphis. And, you know, they, they 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 lost on a neutral court to Memphis and beat K- Kentucky inside of three weeks, and Great. and like didn't just beat Kentucky, like they beat Kentucky's brains in. Yes, absolutely. It was so weird. If it gets three wins in any sort of way, probably going to have a case there. Wisconsin's sitting much better than Ohio State right now, but they mm-hmm. could get really interesting in a hurry. They get the benefit of their next two games being at home, but they're also playing two teams that are playing for one seeds in Michigan State and Iowa. So it's about to get really intriguing with the Buckeyes. Listen, if they can somehow get two of those three, and certainly three or three, then they're back in play. But like as yeah. we, as we're talking right now, I'm just pulled up the resume. They got one top fifty win. Yeah, this, no, this they're thing. not on the bubble yet, but they're like yeah. in a position where I don't think they control their own destiny necessarily. But with these two home games coming up that are legitimate resume builders, potentially, sure. it's a nice situation to be in, given that they were. What two and four so, and four and five? How about this? Through like I, December twelfth. I didn't think on February twenty first we'd be talking about Ohio State maybe putting themselves in position to make the NCAA tournament. But yeah, I mean they could. Shout out to David Lighty. <laughs> Shout out to David. Shout Lighty. out to David Lighty. David they, Lighty is a top five human that they, has played college basketball. They could uh, they could add three top twenty five wins and then you know in their next uh, three games that's even before the uh, even before the Big Ten tournament. I will say that. You know, talking about 12 conference wins or top three finish. I never, ever, ever look at the conference standings and never, ever, ever um, look at conference wins. So, like, I've got, a, like, some Arizona fans, like, really on me. Like, hey, Arizona's in first place in the Pac-12. How do you have them ahead of Utah? Utah undeniably has a better resume than Arizona right now. Yeah. I don't know that Utah's better, but in terms of, like, wins and, and losses relative to the RPI, like, Arizona has two top 50 wins. Utah has seven Arizona has one loss outside of the top 50. Uh, I think Utah has two. Like Utah is in second place in the, or maybe even third place in the, in the Pac-12. But they're, they've got the best resume in the Pac-12 right now. I don't, I don't even think it's close. And so I, I don't pay that much attention to the league standings. But uh, I, I know they matter to, to some degree. Uh, anything else or is it time to go? I think it might be time to go. It feels like it's time to go. It's been a long – it's been good. It's been – listen, this has been a – Interesting. I bet you it's been. I bet you no college basketball podcast in history has covered the subjects we've covered today. <laughs> nope. Is that fair? This is why the and, people tune in. And let me be clear. I hope no other college basketball podcast in history ever covers these uh, topics again. Sincerely, thank you for uh, uh, bearing with me at the top, listening, and uh, we'll call it a therapy session. Remember, you can uh, subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That is the quickest way to get the, uh, the latest episodes and. Uh, yeah, we'll talk to you again later on this week. Take care.